Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Well, hello, fellow travelers. What is going on? Today is Friday. It's the 14th of August, 2020. Let's go ahead and get our contact info up, and then we'll jump in with the show. Before we do that, though, you may notice a little bit of difference in the sound. I am in the mobile studio. I am planning on trying to use the noise reduction feature. We'll see how that goes. Sometimes it works pretty good. Nor A lot of times when I do the mobile studio stuff, I'm using the iPhone, but today I'm using my Sure microphone because I knew I was going to have to go on some errands and the Zoom. So I think a lot of times what happens is that with a better microphone, the software has a better base, so to speak, to differentiate my voice between some of the background noise of driving. So anyway, it right now the thermometer in the truck says it's 122 and generally it's pretty accurate. Let's say if it's, uh, oh, I don't know, couple degrees off, it's still about 120. You want to say it's four degrees off, still 118. So anyway, pretty dang hot, got the AC going. So you may hear that in the background. It'll depend on how well the software does on, on uh, removing some of the stuff. If you want to contact me, I do have a couple of different ways to do so. There is the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. If you would like to record your own audio, like Dave has done today. We'll have some feedback from Dave, by the way. If you'd like to be like Dave and record your own audio and send that in, or if you just want to send in an email, have me read it out for you, the address is firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail, P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L.com. Over on the website, you'll find buttons for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. There is also, if you're ever so inclined, PayPal donation button. And you can send me some of that unneeded money that's burning a hole in your pocket. And if you can't do that, that's fine too. I would ask that maybe you go over to the website, click on my YouTube button, and subscribe to my channel. only takes a second or two. I'd like to get my channel numbers up. I think it's important, even though I don't have a ton of gun content on there, I do have some, and I think it's important that we maintain a presence on YouTube. What else was I going to say? Oh, I also have my other show, which is Firearms Cafe, not Firearms good heavens, the heat's addled my brain, anyway, which is The Armed Ape, where I do reviews on just about everything lately, it's primarily been on movie reviews, anyway, if you'd uh, share that stuff, if you think it's up somebody's alley or they'd get some enjoyment out of it, go ahead and do that. Okay, enough of that nonsense, enough of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Let's go ahead and sometimes I save some of the feedback for a little bit later in the show, but I think what I'm going to do today is we're going to sort of jump right in. So Dave has some comments on the George Floyd incident, not necessarily about the riots or anything, but basically the actual incident itself. So, uh, you know, what was happening, policy stuff, that type of things. So let's go ahead and give that a listen. Dave makes lots of, lots of good points, excuse me. So take it away, Dave. 
Hey Tony, it's Dave in Utah. Um, just wanted to record a little audio feedback. Uh, you had a caller call in um, talking about uh, George Floyd and the police officer that was uh, um, ultimately was, was kneeling on Floyd's neck. Um, I kind of disagree with your caller when he said that the officer did everything correctly and followed all standard procedures. Um, I was not hired on as a police officer, but I did go through law enforcement academy training. And one of the things they talked about in the academy was something called excited delirium. Now it is a medical condition. Basically, I think there's a couple of things that happen, uh, a couple of kind of cascading events that all kind of converge. Um, one thing that happens is for whatever reason, the person's uh, temperature has increased greatly has uh, their their temperature has increased so much that basically their brain is overheating and they are not thinking coherently and so that's why if you watch videos of people with excited delirium like they're not making any sense they they will comply with commands to lay down and then jump right back up like they'll ask for help and then fight with everything they have so it's, you know, part of it is that they, for whatever reason, something has set off this reaction where their temperature has gone way up. Also, there is a, I wanna say it's lactic acid, but I think it's, it's some sort of acid. There's a, there's a buildup of some type of chemical in the person's muscles. And um, so this chemical builds up in their muscles but the thing that aggravates and causes more of this chemical to build up in their muscles is them using their muscles. However, as this chemical, I believe, I'm pretty sure it's lactic acid or some sort of acid, as it accumulates in their muscles, it causes their muscles to flex and cramp and spasm. So it's kind of like there's a, they're cramping and spasming and flexing their muscles which is causing more of this stuff to build up in their muscles, which is causing the, their muscles to cramp and spasm more. And so what happens is that person, they're having a medical emergency. They need treatment. One of the things they need that a paramedic can do is give them a, like a sedative, which will relax them. It'll stop their, at least stop their muscles from, from clamping or cramping up more and might uh, make it possible for the body to clear that stuff out. But of course, paramedics can't deal with people if they're unrestrained and dangerous. So the police have to restrain them. So it's a, it's a tricky, it's a really difficult situation for police because this person, if they're just left alone, they could wander out into traffic or if they just keep wandering around and, uh, you know, and if they're unstopped, they're gonna keep using their muscles and they're gonna speed themselves to death. Um, so the police have to get that person under physical control as quickly as possible. And they have to get them into handcuffs. Sometimes when people, they get into handcuffs and they're physically restrained, they might be able to calm down a little bit and start to have those levels come back down in their muscles. But um, I mean, you can see videos of online. There's one of a, a guy who was, uh, um, they got him onto a gurney and they had his hands handcuffed to the gurney and he's sitting there and he's pleading with them for them to help him but then he like you can tell he's like trying to do a sit-up it's like his abdominal muscles are are 
flexing like as hard as they can and it's and they're like man you got to relax and it's like he's not coherent at all so anyway so what the police have to do they have to get the person into into custody they have to get them into handcuffs but because of all this uh this you know out of control temperature and this totally uncontrollable you know high demand from their muscles of course they're they're becoming starved for oxygen and so that's when you hear people saying i can't breathe i can't breathe and so the one thing if you think someone is having excited delirium the one thing that you never do the one thing that's basically been you know they say you know we're not entirely sure we understand this but for sure if someone says that they cannot breathe and that and you think they have excited delirium you cannot impede their their airway their lungs their neck their face like at all if you do if you impede them they won't get enough oxygen and they'll die because they're basically like hyperventilating so when when Chauvin was sitting on George Floyd's neck and uh, if they suspected excited delirium which I kind of do because they talked about you know one of the other officers talked about how they've been fighting with this guy for like 10 minutes solid trying to get him into handcuffs um, that kind of sounds like you know excited delirium to me if the guy's saying I can't breathe I can't breathe they need to like keep him in cuffs and keep him from going anywhere but they need to get off of his upper body roll him into the recovery position which is on your left side kind of halfway into a fetal position so you're you're stable um, and um, they did not they didn't do that I read in the report that there was a uh, one of the other officers was saying hey don't we need to roll him onto his side I mean I think this guy has excited delirium but apparently Chauvin or one of the other senior officers was like, no, we have to restrain the guy. So they were not following, you know, practices, at least that I was taught about dealing with excited delirium. Now, there's another thing I saw that was fairly interesting. There was a, the medical toxicology report said that um, Floyd had a small amount of fentanyl in his system. Um, and now normally we think of people having an overdose with fentanyl, you know, having too much of it, but they said he had a small amount. Um, I know Scott Adams, whose son died of a fentanyl overdose, he himself said that watching the video, he, he, he to him it seemed kind of like Floyd was having a fentanyl overdose. But um, in any case, I did see a medical report about a rare but known documentable reaction to fentanyl um, called wooden chest basically you know somebody it's it's kind of like having an allergic reaction it's it's a physiological reaction to the chemical itself that some people can have that when they're exposed to fentanyl then their the muscles that control their lungs and their diaphragm all gradually um, you know go into a spasm where they're basically clenched as hard as possible so I don't know if you've ever jumped into a like a lake that is you know 50 or 40 degrees I had to do that once at scout camp but all the muscles in your chest go tight and you can't take a deep breath like you're just like <laughs> you know you're, you you can't take a deep breath at all so if that was happening to George Floyd where they had gotten him into the back of the car 
and maybe he had taken a little bit of fentanyl and then the reaction was gradually setting in where he was starting to have this problem and starting to feel uncomfortable while he was in the car and maybe starting to panic because you know he's having a hard time breathing and then they take him out and try and see what his deal is and he fights with them for 10 minutes until they finally get him on the ground that's that's possible too now the paper i read was was talking about um you know in a clinical setting where you give someone fentanyl in in a preparation for going into a surgery and you have to observe you know and if, if this and this start to happen then they're experiencing wooden chest and and you need to give them this sort of drug to help get them out of that and then they you know they'll be able to be relaxed and I guess the hard thing about wooden chest also is that if the person stops breathing or if their heart starts stops beating then it's it's difficult to do CPR on them because their muscles are so taut that you it's physically difficult to compress their ribs and compress their heart and make blood pump so like it's yeah <laughs> it'd be it'd be a tough problem to deal with but you know, there's a couple of thoughts there. I think uh, certainly any standard operating procedure when somebody to goes totally limp and unresponsive, I think you immediately start medical treatment on them. You start evaluate, are they breathing? Do they have a heartbeat? You know, roll them onto their back, open their airway, and then start doing chest compressions and start doing rescue breathing until the paramedics arrive. So, yeah, so I disagree that, that the police officers in Minneapolis followed all the proper procedures um, anyway I was trying to trying to keep it short hopefully didn't ramble too long thanks bye all right Dave thanks for sending that in I appreciate it it's always good to hear from you and uh, not that Dave and I disagree on a ton of stuff but even if you hear something on the show if it's from me or from somebody who sends something in and you maybe have a little bit different take on it go ahead send it in as long as it's not, you know, laden uh, with personal attacks on somebody, I will go ahead and play it. Most of the people that listen to this show are not afraid to have maybe some of their positions challenged, uh, that type of thing. So anyway, I have to say I agree with uh, pretty much everything that Dave had said in his audio file that he sent in. You know, we talked on the last show about, well... I guess before we jump in there, I was going to say about kind of, you know, does policy make things right? But I did watch some of the, the new released, I guess, body footage, or police cam or whatever you want to call it. And going back to sort of some of my experience in dealing with what we'll call maybe the criminal element or with kind of what I would have termed George, George Floyd to be, which was He's pretty much a professional criminal. So what that means is, is that he gets most of his money, makes most of his living, so to speak, through illegal means, either through crime or, or, or um, defrauding people or maybe robbing people. I don't know if he had a lot of stuff, a history of robbing people or not. Maybe he did. I don't know. But he's what we would, back in the day would just term, a, he's, a, he's a criminal, just hardcore criminal, meaning that's how he's going to make his way through the world. Now, having said that, there are some people who would say, well, that's to him then. He sort of got what he deserved. He chose that criminal lifestyle, and so part of the uh, hazards of the job may result in death. I don't necessarily happen to feel that way. Uh, other people would 
kind of maybe do the, the would take the view of, well, you know, he is a criminal, and, and so that stuff, you know, he took it, and I, I wish that hadn't happened to him, but I don't take any joy from it while other people do. And other people are, are sort of like, well, you know, he's a human being. He still had people that cared about him, and, you know, maybe he could have turned his life around eventually and, and been, a, been a productive member of society or at least, you know, been able to help his family, that type of thing. But getting back into... The idea of does policy, and I guess we'll go ahead and cover that now, does policy, just because something is policy, does it make it right? Does it then, should it then allow the police to do whatever they want to do? Should it absolve them from everything if they say, well, this was a, they, they acted within policy? And you have to sort of, I guess you have to ask yourself the question of, well, what, why are policies there? What purpose does a bureaucratic agency, a governmental agency, what does it have policies for? And some people would say, oh, their immediate reaction, well, the policy is to help protect the public or the people. There, there is a difference between public and people. So public usually reser- uh, refers to and is reserved really in government agencies for those government agencies. So when they say it's a public service or it's protected to protect the public, it, what that really means is they're looking out to protect their own agency. So getting back to, you know, why are policies enacted? And again, they are enacted generally to make sure that that governmental agency or that bureaucracy cannot be sued into oblivion. And then somewhere way down the line, it's there to also protect, I guess we call it the arm of that agency or the, uh, the soldiers of that agency, whatever you want to call it, however you want to term it. But it's really not even about that person as an individual. It's more about that slot. So it's, and, and having worked in a large bureaucracy for many, many years, a government bureaucracy, as you know, I was a juvenile probation officer. So I saw a lot of that stuff. And generally what that meant is that the policies are there to protect the higher-ups in the agency. They're there in, on a larger sense to protect the, the agency and you know either whatever government uh, umbrella it falls under. So whether it's state, county, city, you know, that type of thing. So whoever's going to get sued, that's what those policies are there for. They're not really there to protect you and I or the individual citizen. Now, having said all that, you know, do we say, well, just because it's policy, does it make it right how they treated somebody? When you say, well, this, this, and this happened, but they did everything per departmental policy. And my answer to that would be no. My answer would be, well, you know, should we, should, should we as citizens be treated by, like that by other citizens? And who we've given a Oh, an elevated level of authority that most of us will subject ourselves to. And the reason that most people, if, if we get down to brass tacks, the reason that most people would subject themselves to a lot of the little things is that if you don't submit, they're going to basically take everything from you, ultimately being your property and eventually your life or your freedom. You know, they can throw you in a cage and then you don't have 
freedom of movement or freedom of choice anymore. You have no liberty. And so, in essence, they're taking your time on the planet, which is, you know, that's the only thing all of us have is time. When the state takes that away from you, they're basically robbing you of portions of your life. And I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm getting a little maybe far down into the weeds. So let's kind of bring it back around to the George Floyd thing and some of the stuff that Dave was talking about. He was talking about the, um, oh, whatever, the, the, that medical term. I, I'm in the truck and I'm not, I haven't listened to, I've listened to his stuff, but it's been a little bit, what is it called? Excited delirium or whatever it is, or anyway, super agitated state, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Anyway, when talking about that the officers were kind of making reference to the excited state that he was in, and then Dave went over some of the physiological things that can happen to a person. And some people say, well, they follow policy. But then as he pointed out, the way that he was taught or trained, however you want to look at it, is that if you have a person that you suspect is going from that, you need to roll them up to where that they can have the best chance of having their airway not be restricted. One of the officers was saying, oh, do you think we should roll them up on the side? They were saying no. When you look at his behavior, some people may say, oh, you know, he's clearly altered. Other people may say, and I would say that that might be the case. I guess with the autopsy they found, uh, was it fentanyl in his system? So he may be in, uh, experiencing some of them stuff, that thing, those things, excuse me. He may also just have had mental issues, mental health issues. But a large part of that and his behavior is familiar. I've seen that behavior before from people who are not altered. I've seen that behavior of... When he's saying, oh, I'm a good guy, I'm, I'm not doing anything, and when they're telling him, get out of the car, I am, I am, and he's not doing it, when they're saying, don't resist me, don't, you know. And it's not that he's full-on fighting, but he's, he's not allowing himself to be placed in the car. You know, it takes a couple of them to get him handcuffed. Once they've got him cuffed and over by the car, he starts saying stuff like, you know, I'm a good guy, I've got claustrophobia, I'm claustrophobic, don't put me in here. And they're like, you know, you need to get in the car, I am, I am. And... And I don't know if most criminals would be able to verbalize it, but it's, you know, the criminals learn, and again, this is in the world of sort of professional criminals, and this is how what I saw and uh, my experience with a lot of those guys is when you want them to, when they're being directed to do stuff, even if they're not, they'll say that they are. And a lot of them understand that they are being recorded. A lot of them understand that, hey, when the cops approach you, if they put your hands on you, you know, tell them, you know, verbalize that you're complying because there's probably somebody else who's recording you. Uh, you know, all this is part of the criminal mindset. And if you don't think that that's true, you probably haven't been around a lot of criminals. If you were to talk to a lot of police or a lot of people who work sort of like I did in, in, in the criminal justice system, his behavior and what he was doing and saying wasn't that alarming to me. Having said all that, how they treated him, again, I think they were trying to be, what's the word I want to, um, compl they were trying to uh, comply or be compliant to his, what we'll call his needs, you know, when he's verbalizing, I'm claustrophobic, I'm this and that. They're saying, well, you got to get in the, we got to get you in the car. We got to do this. And he's like, oh, I'm claustrophobic. Don't put me in there. And they're like, well, we'll, we'll put you in, we'll roll the window down. 
you know, I'll stay with you, blah, blah, blah. They're saying all this stuff to him, and they're trying to, uh, I think maybe at, at that point they were kind of being a little bit too nice. Now, you would say, well, isn't that what you, what you want the police to do is to try and, and be the least aggressive that they can be and still get the job done? At that point, I would have probably just stuffed him in the car, and then if he starts going bananas and kicking around in there, then you can maybe pull him out, maybe hog tie his legs, and then you know kind of shove him back in there. Or you get him on his side to where even if he's wiggling around, you get somebody to sit on his legs. You don't have to get on the guy's chest or on the guy's neck, and especially the neck or the head. That's you know you really don't want to be putting a lot of pressure on that stuff. And this isn't stuff that's new. And again, I've had the training. We've had the stuff where we've dressed up in the red man suits and you roll around with people. And, you know, there's, there are ways, especially once you are cuffed up, there are ways to where you can control that individual without having to go to next stuff. What I think happened is, is the senior guy there who is calling the shots I think this is what happened. Basically, um, again, the, the guy who's in jail right now had a, knew him, and I think what they're doing is when he's not complying. And even now, th- I'll say this: even if he didn't know him, even if they were unfamiliar, I think what they were doing is giving him a little bit of street justice. And they were teaching this guy a lesson of you don't mess with the police. When we tell you, you know, you want to play this little, I'm claustrophobic, I can't do this, I can't do that game. You're going to say you can't breathe. Well, clearly you can breathe because you're talking. And they're, and, that's, and they're going to teach him a lesson. They're going to show him, okay, you're going to be on, and maybe it's not the hot pavement like it is, it is out here in Arizona, but you're going to be on the ground we're going to make you uncomfortable. We're going to make you sort of suffer a little bit, but you're probably not going to have like major injuries. You know, we're not going to kick you in the head. We're not going to do all this other stuff, but you're going to look, you're going to be uncomfortable and you're going to pay the price and you're going to learn when the police tell you to do something, you do it. You comply. You don't, you don't get away with contempt of cop. And I think that's I think that's what happened more than anything. I think that with the amount of officers there, and again, they could have shoved him in the car or they could have, like the one guy saying, well, let's put him up on his side. And they're like, nope, don't need to. Uh, So that would then kind of lead to the argument of, well, maybe they didn't think he had that excited delirium or whatever it's called. But again, if we go back to, I know I'm jumping around a little bit, but if a little bit, excuse me, but if we go back to policy should absolve them of of a b and c you know what happens you can go on youtube and you can watch tons of videos of people that have been in a car accident they've suffered some type of head trauma they may not look like they have they may not be bleeding you know severely or anything like that but they're kind of in a daze when the police show up or emt show up to try and help them they'll tell them one thing the person will say okay they don't do it so at at that point, you have to say, well, would you want police policy? And I know people are saying, oh, it's, it's different things because this guy was, you know, trying to pass fraudulent checks and blah, blah, blah. And an accident is different. But a lot of times, and we've, we've seen over and over again where they, the police will really kind of go roughshod overboard on somebody because they think that that person is messing with them. 
and when it's that's not the case you know they may not be fighting back or being super violent and again there's you know you could say well is it a training issue is it this or is it that is it the quality of people that we have you know what can be done if we're going to talk about police reform what can be done to make make it to where that happens less left less excuse me last often there we go at 122 degree heat's uh, addling my brain a little bit. So I mentioned it briefly before, but I do think that in some ways the standards to get in it to be an actual police officer and be a patrolman should be probably higher than they are. I don't know if in the current world that we live in, in the current political climate, if you can get away from quota hires. And I've told stories before about I know people that, I knew them personally, that they were hired on basically as quota hires over probably other people that probably would have been a better police officer. There was this one guy that I knew, and he was a, he was a former basketball player. I won't use his name, but he was a guy that got hired on to one of the agencies, and he, I heard later from other cops that worked in that department and worked with him that they're like, well, he's, you know, he's black. He's, he's, he was like, you know, six foot 10. He's like this big, huge guy. So he's in, his size is going to intimidate most people. But he was a guy who, even with his size and strength and everything, he was a guy that was kind of afraid. And they would, they were, a couple of these other cops were telling me, yeah, he, you know, he's always like the last dude to show up to a call he, when something is going down, if people need help, you know, he, you can't really count on him. You know, he doesn't really have your back. And so that guy, you know, was hired basically because he checked some boxes for that department. There was another thing that I've told before where uh, this girl that I knew and we were at, the, this was at the time when I was testing for a couple of departments too before I got so frustrated with it and just said, ah, that's enough of that. She, so when you, when you go through the test, you'll usually do, they'll have you do like a physical test, physical fitness test. They have you do psychological test and you take a lie detector, you take a written test, you do all this stuff. And generally what they do is they have you come in, you do the written test first. If you pass that, then you're scheduled to do the physical. So at her physical, she didn't do all, so you have to do a minimum amount of sit-ups, push-ups, and, and they're sort of prorated out, so to speak, by your gender, your age. So if you're a, a female between the age of, you know, 21 and 25, let's say you have to be able to do 25 sit-ups and 15 push-ups. Whereas if you're a male, that same age group, you have to do maybe... 40 sit-ups with, you know, within 60 seconds, and you have to be able to do 25 push-ups. And then you have to, and then the running, even the running was different. So the males, you had to run it quicker. The females, you could run it slower. And the older you were, the longer your time got sort of stressed, stretched out, excuse me. So anyway, she didn't do the amount of, of uh, push-ups, I mean, not push-ups, of, of sit-ups. She missed it by a couple. And But she was a, a petite Asian female, super cute, and the guy was like, eh, don't worry about it. And they just passed her on anyway because, again, 
she would fill a quota. She checked some of the boxes that some of the other people who maybe were more qualified. Now, she didn't eventually get hired on there. She got hired on at another, at another agency who I had a, a couple of friends, and they told me, you know, oh, yeah, you know, she, she tries hard. She does, you know, she responds. She does all this other stuff. But I think she was probably five foot four, maybe five three. She was a tiny, petite little thing and weighed probably maybe 100 pounds, maybe, uh, if, if she weighed that. And so, and of course, you know, she's, she's out there and she's going to have to go up against, you know, somebody like a, 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 you know, a guy who, let's say not even that big, a guy who's, let's say, five foot 10 and weighs 165 pounds, you know, he has a huge advantage on her, especially if, if he's a younger male, a younger fit male. So anyway, a lot of this stuff, you know, when we talk a lot about police reform and, and why these things happen, the guys that are out on the, in the squad cars and the patrol cars, those guys are, are I guess, you, you know, for, for using sort of a cliched term, they're sort of the tip of the spear, but they're not the, they're not the whole problem. The problem is you have a huge bureaucracy, which is the, what, the shaft of the spear, I guess, that none of those people are really held accountable we see that what really needs to change is some of the legislation that's going through. We need to see that, say that instead of, oh, defund the police, well, that's not going to do anything because all, all those laws are going to be the same. None of that stuff is going to change. What you have to do is from a legislative standpoint, you have to define, well, when do we want the police involved and what really is a crime? There's that book, Three Felonies a Day, which the average American unknowingly commits what they were saying up to three felonies a day. The reality is you cannot drive in your vehicle down the road without giving the police. The traffic laws are so vast that the police could pull you over for pretty much any reason. You go one mile over the speed limit, boom, they've got probable cause. Let's say that you're kind of drifting over to the right a little bit. Boom, they've got probable cause because you're, you're driving unsafely. Let's say you didn't turn, put your turn signal on or you, you started to go over and then you did your turn. Well, you didn't do it in time. So, boom, now they've got you. So, and a lot of our laws are like that. A lot of our laws are crimes where there's no victim. And that's one of my big things. And I think, too, I think the war on drugs has failed and I've been vo very vocal about this and people, you know, the, the argument against that, saying that... Uh, you know, we should at the very least decriminalize drugs, and I would say all drugs, not just marijuana, but pretty much everything, is that you have, you know, if you sort of make it like a traffic ticket or something like that, where they would just pay a small fine, then what happens is if you, you don't send somebody to prison for the rest of their life, or you don't have them lose their job or do all this other stuff just because that they're they're engaging in what we'll call vices and not crimes. And so... You can look, go back and read Lysander Spooner called, uh, I think it's Vices Not Crimes or something like that, where he talks about, you know, the difference between a vice is where you do something that potentially can harm yourself or your own property, and the crime is when you're harming somebody else or their, or their property. And that once you, once you start criminalizing vices, you make it to where the state has no boundaries. 
and that you, you severely limit any type of freedom that you might have or liberty that you might have. So I get, I don't know, maybe the show will be a little shorter today. Uh, I did, I'm, like I said, I am in the, in the mobile studio. I went up to pick up a slide I got on one of my pistols, got the uh, RMR done. If you want to go over and watch a video of me sweating myself off, you can watch uh, the video of the RMR cut that I had done on my VP9. I've got this one on a Glock 19, which I'll try and post up some pictures, and I may do a video. But go over to the YouTube channel, check that out, subscribe. Let's get my numbers up. I think I'm over 100, which I never really thought I would have. I'd always thought, eh, you know. But uh, I would really like to get up to around about 1,000 or so. Uh, and then maybe get with some of my other videos, get some of those monetized. And then even though YouTube is anti-gun, make them at least pay a pro-gun guy. So even if they only paid me a nickel a month, I'd, I'd still say, well, that's a nickel that doesn't go into an anti-gun coffer. Let's see, is there anything else I wanted to talk about or kind of touch base with? I don't think so. I think that's about it. So I guess what we'll do is will well let me let me give a plug to the guy that's been uh, doing the slides for me his name is brian he works at southwest precision arms i don't know if brian's the owner uh, but he's always there so i think he might be as it looks like it's more kind of like a one-man shop but he does good work uh, and does Cerakote and all that stuff so if you are uh, you can also you can always mail stuff in. You don't have to drop stuff off. Usually, I like to drop stuff off because then you get kind of a personal touch with the people that you're dealing with, and they kind of get to know your face and you get to know them a little bit. Uh, so, anyway, that's uh, if you're out of state, you can always ship stuff into him. He does good work, and uh, you can always email or call him, leave a message, and he'll generally get back with you pretty quick. So, uh, let's see. Oh, and. Even though he has a lead time of like three to four weeks, he usually gets stuff back with, for me, the stuff that, I've, that he's done for me, he gets done in usually about two weeks. I haven't really had to go more than that on anything that he's done for me. I think we talked a little bit about the people out in St. Louis last time. I'm still kind of there with, uh, again, that thing of your, the outcome kind of determines whether you're a hero or a zero. And so for those people... A lot of people are going to determine that they are that they are heroes and they sort of did the right thing. You know, again, I don't know from a tactical standpoint. I don't know if they did. Some people would say, "Well, look, their house didn't get burned down, all that other kind of stuff." But we kind of went over that stuff before. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else, and I don't think there's too much. You know, the the political situation really hasn't changed all that much. We're from from the last episode that I put out. I think we are, what, around 80-some-odd days, maybe 81 days or something before the election. A lot can happen in there. You know, with Trump, it depends on, look, I'm no Trump fan. I've never been a Trump fan. I don't think he's really any friend to us and the gun owners and if in gun world. And if the best that you can say is, hey, at least he's not 100% against me, that's a pretty sad state of affairs. The only thing that I could say why somebody would vote for him is that I don't think he'll strike too many blows against us. But even I can't even say that with a lot of conviction. I do think, though, that the economy will do better under him, not necessarily because of the 
policies or things that he's going to do, but I, I think that investors and business people think, oh, he's there'll be less restrictions on us as business people, and so the, the there's more risk-taking, I guess. I think that people think that taxes will be lowered. And I guess, you know, I don't know, it depends on who you talk to. Some people say, well, before the coronavirus, you know, we were doing a lot better and the economy was on its way up. And I guess from, and other people would say, ah, it's kind of false. These are kind of bubble things. And, he, you know, it's not really him. It's just sort of circumstances, that type of deal. So it will be very interesting to see what happens. Again, is if, if the Democrats get into power, it's not going to go good for us. And you think... You think that there's ammo shortages and gun shortages now. If Biden gets in, who is a person who said he's going to put Robert O'Rourke, good old Beto, in uh, in charge of you know gun control or in charge of gun policy, man, things are going to go. They're going to go crazy. The manufacturers aren't going to be able to make enough to get it out there. So, and it's going to be the same for ammo. It's going to be the same for pretty much all the gun-related stuff. You know, we've had sort of the perfect storm of coronavirus where people were thinking, well, the police are going to be short, short shift and they're not going to show up. And then you had all the, 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 the protests and the defund the police. And so they're further not going to show up. And so you had people who are anti-gun that are going out and buying guns. And then you have you're starting to see shortages. And then you have people that are pro-gun are like, well, unless of this, I'm not going to be caught flat-footed. And so they've bought up more. And so... You know, we're seeing lots and lots of stuff that we kind of haven't seen a whole lot of before. I mean, we've we've all seen and lived through ammo shortages and panic buys and things like this. But it's where there are so many, there's several different factors that are fueling these things. All right. Well, I think I will draw the show to a close. Thanks for hanging out with me and uh, traveling with me here on our journey through life. Uh, Let's see. Love to hear from you. Like I said, you can have you can critique me or you can critique critique anybody that sends in uh, stuff, which means your your stuff is fair game too. But again, I won't let somebody just call you names or beat up on you. So love to hear from you. Uh, voicemail area code two zero six seven four five two seven three one. Email address to send your audio and or emails. Firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All right, my fellow travelers, I will talk to you next time.
I'm in trouble. Black coffee, I see trouble. Man, 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 I'm not gonna get home. Black coffee, I'm so dizzy. Black coffee, please get dizzy. Oh, 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 I'm in trouble. I'm so dizzy. You get trouble. Man, 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 man. I'm not gonna get home. I love it. I'm in trouble. I'm so dizzy. You get trouble. Oh, oh, oh. I'm not gonna get home. I'm not gonna get